Welcome to the Leader Think Podcast, where we discuss personal growth and concepts for improving organizational culture. This is your host, Philip Grison. As you increase your wisdom, I hope you enlighten others on your path towards greatness. If you want to go further, head over to leaderthink.com. Hey, everyone. Today we have David Smith and Anthony Fincher with Marathon Electric. And at ProSafe, we consider them a success story on implementing human performance into their safety culture. So um, we wanted to bring them in today and just talk about the, the principle of learning to prevent incidents. And um, we're going to get a couple different views from each of them. So, um, Anthony, could we just start with you? Could you uh, say who you are, what your role is with Marathon, and uh, just a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm Anthony. I'm the safety director at Marathon Electrical, one of many. Uh, we have a large safety team here. But uh, I just feel like my job is ultimate bridge between the office and the field, just trying to help correct any kind of issues out there safety related or you know work related anything i can do to help get the job done safely good deal and david can you let everybody know who you are what your position is with marathon yeah david smith marathon uh division manager um have five six pms that report to me a couple dozen projects going on um you know my role at marathon isn't just limited to division manager i i have a pretty uh great deal of experience in electrical work and wind up fielding a lot of technical questions. So I'm involved with a lot of different projects and a lot of our workforce. Uh, like I say, my history, I, I started in this trade uh, when I was 18 years old, fresh out of high school and um, working in the field, started as an apprentice, went through apprenticeship school, you know, master's license and just kind of graduated up, um, moving into the office, transitioning to an office role in 2008 and here at Marathon in 2011. So I've held a, a number of different positions and, and had a lot of great opportunities and, um, you know, really excited to be able to be able to contribute to a safety culture that's trying to be uh, as sophisticated and, and as high quality as there is anywhere in the country. Well, I think you guys are doing a, a great job in setting a model for others to follow. So kudos to you. Um, okay, so we're here to talk about the fifth principle of human performance, that events could be avoided by learning. And um, there's two different angles I, I wanted us to tackle. Um, one is just learning in general that um, it, we've come from a crime and punishment model of safety performance. And, and a lot of people ask, where, where are we going? Well, we're going to a learning culture. And so with Anthony, I kind of wanted to start with you about learning in general and then kind of move to David on what event learning teams are all about since you guys have had some success with that. So, Anthony, some of us choose the safety profession. Sometimes we have people going to college to choose this. But I think for most of us, the the safety profession kind of chose us. So can you talk a little bit about how you ended up in the safety profession and any passion you developed on that path? Yeah, sure. I, uh, I've been with the company 15 years now. I started out in the apprenticeship program as a helper, worked my way up. And during that time, we had this uh, safety officer program. I didn't, don't like the word officer, but that's what it was called back then. And I joined that. And uh, so from an early stage, I was learning a lot about safety and the electrical trade. And um, throughout those years, they were trying to groom people to 
kind of help out with safety only. And I didn't really, that wasn't for me. I was, I mainly wanted to be a superintendent because that was a more desirable position amongst everybody. You can ask anyone, they'd rather be a superintendent than a safety person. Uh, so I took that path and uh, I continued on. Um, and I ultimately made it to that leadership position of an on-site superintendent to where um, in that position, you know, you're ultimately in charge of everything. You're in charge of the safety. You're in charge of production. Uh, you're you're in charge of everything because the office personnel and project managers are not around. Uh, so, so I got I made it to that point right there. And then after a few years of doing that, I believe I I caught some recognition from our CEO and um, this my ability to lead people. I reckon uh, in a safe manner because I I took safety very seriously because. Again, you know, I'm responsible for their safety. If I don't have them a good plan or a good procedure, then the likelihood of getting, them getting injured or installing something incorrectly or anything is, is ultimately on my shoulders. And so he asked me, he said, you know, would you be interested in changing your career to safety? And I was honestly, I was hesitant because, you know, I'm, I've made it to this superintendent position I'm making good money. Uh, it's very respectable, and I loved it. Uh, there was no need for me to change because I really enjoyed what I do. But then, you know, you get to thinking, he's going to hire someone else to come in that may not have done this trade and don't know the employees like I do. Uh, uh, like I said, I've been here a while, worked side by side with all these guys, and um, and that's and I and I ultimately I accepted it and I, I went for it. It was a uh, it was a little nerve wracking, a little nervousness going on. And uh, I went for it and I've been doing it three, almost three and a half years now. And it is, it has been, it's been amazing. I, I'm thankful that I had the opportunity and I, I stepped out there and just went for it. Cause otherwise, who you know, it'd be someone else doing it. And maybe the guys don't react well to someone else that comes into the trade that's, that's never done it before. And, don't even know them, you know? So the safety position is, is, it's a real unique position. Not anybody can do it. (laughs) Amen to that. Right. So Sidney Decker says that you must expect education of your safety staff. And, you know, that's one thing I've noticed about you, Anthony, is that a lot of people, a lot of organizations, they tend to educate everyone on the um, regulatory requirements, right? What OSHA says but I've noticed that you have this passion for educating your folks on higher level concepts like human performance. Um, can you talk a little bit about why you went down that road and any return on investment you've received because of doing that? Uh, the reason why we went down this road is because our CEO joined in on a human performance introduction course. And following after that meeting, he contacted the safety folks and said, hey, this is this is the way I feel about safety and this is the way I feel we should move forward. And, uh, and his approach is if you really care about your employees, this is the avenue that you'll go. Uh, so it really started with our CEO. Um, he went through that introduction course. He called a meeting with all the executives and other ownership and top tier from the very top and, uh, pretty much explained to everyone. So, Hey, this is, this is our approach towards safety in general and uh, system corrections. So when it comes to that, I mean, the CEO, the top guy, he's the one that's started this thing, got it rolling. And uh, and as far as like the leadership, 
um, we had a we had a unique employee request for a one on one with a someone to speak to about how to deal with the millennials, and he we we hired which it was you, Philip, and we found great success with you and uh, talking with that fella, and moving on from there, we decided just to continue the leadership portion because you know the human performance side of things it's really that really helps with your system and your your everyday nuts and bolts that are moving through from operations down to the install um that's human performance all day but when it comes to personal growth you know someone teaching you about you know how to study and how your brain works and um that's that's kind of the personal goal personal achievement is through that leadership part. That's awesome. Um, you know, one thing you just said there, Anthony, you started with the CEO and we've seen that the companies that are most successful with implementing human performance are the ones that start at the top. Um, but some people, they just, they don't have that ability, right? That they, they can only schedule the class for middle management. And usually what we hear in those, those rooms is, upper management should be in this class. Um, so I think you guys definitely took the right path with, with educating upper management first. Did you get any resistance to that or were they pretty much bought in from day one on um, the upper management side? Completely bought in from day one. Even David here, he's he's an executive with the company. I mean, just, just having guys like David and just all those guys fully supporting it without their support, we can't do it. There's, it would stop. There was if you got two different sides of the path there, if you got one, you know, upper management really just kind of bucking the program and you're trying to sell it to them, like we didn't have that, we didn't have that battle. We never even had to go over that bridge. It was, he started it, educated us. He even asked me, he's like, hey, you ever even heard of the human performance? I was like, no, I mean, I think I've heard of it, but I've never educated myself on it. Um, and then after, I mean, after I sat through it and I was like, I mean, I get it. This is this makes complete sense, and I'm I'm thankful to be a part of this because honestly, I'm, I'm from the field, and I have more I have more passion for things like this than your typical standard stuff. And we we had to hire uh, a training director because um, that right that portion is a lot of work in itself. But I'm just thankful to be on the team of the the proactive side of things, especially with human performance. And, and again, we're we're new to it still. I still feel like we're We've got a lot, lot of work to do in human performance and implementing it to our company, but um, I believe we're on the right path. Oh, definitely. No, and, and the, you've got a lot on your side, too. The, the fact that upper management is bought in and you haven't faced resistance, a lot of people do. So I think you guys are, are definitely on the right path and, and prime for success. Okay, so um, let's go to something else. What are you learning right now? Anthony, in the context of safety management that's inspiring you? Well, I mean, we, we listen to podcasts. You know, there, there's plenty of books out there. Um, but really, in, internally for me and in, in my personal growth is um, I recently uh, just got saved, I mean, a couple years ago. And traveling down that path of Christianity is my is my the biggest growth for me right now learning God and learning, you know, Jesus sacrifice that he made for us and implementing that into my family and into my everyday life. And, um, just lifting up everyone around me is, is my personal growth right now. That is interesting that you brought that up. 
um because dave and i were just talking about how um uh, some people view this this shift in, in safety performance to hp as the difference between the old and the new testament that you know you, we came from those barbarous times of construction of eye for an eye i mean there were fist fights on the job site every day right yeah. i mean that was normal that's how we settled things and now we're trying to understand you know let he without sin cast the first stone right that we all are are parts of the same body in this organizational system so I think that belief definitely, uh, it, it helps with HP for sure. For sure. Okay. So there's all this stuff with HP. There's all these principles, there's all these classes, all these books that we can read. Um, there's a lot to it. What do you think is, are the most valuable things that you guys have learned about with human performance that have helped you the most at reducing injuries? Human performance, ah, there's, there's two large things. One, of course, is the event learning teams. But another one is the performance modes. Because we often put, we, I mean, we have to hire a lot of people all the time. We have a big turnover. And just knowing what performance mode that person's in when they go into that task is, is probably the, the biggest eye-opening thing for me. And that is what I'm really working on, hard on training our employees on is like, you know, the and you can measure their success. You you can kind of get an idea if they're going to be successful or not. And you, you have a ratio there. If, you know if they're going to get injured. Um, if they're in a knowledge based mode, there's a high chance that they're going to get injured. So let's get them into a rule based mode and you know have a skill based mode. Look over that procedure and kind of help them along the way. And as you get someone in a rule based mode, it over time they'll develop a skill in that trade. So just knowing what these what their individual performance modes is. And then there's all kind of HP tools we've learned about the three-way communication, making sure they understand what they're doing. Yeah. That, that whole thing of understanding how our brains work, right. That um, it's not really taught in the school system. Uh, you know, maybe you get a little hint of psychology here and there, but um, it, it's not just things that people naturally know, right. We've got to educate them on how our brains work. No, that's some good stuff there. All right. Okay, so um, so you'd mentioned event learning teams. And so at this point, I think I'm going to uh, switch over to David. And um, David, number one, there's this talk around the office that you have a big passion <laughs> for event learning teams. So um, can you talk a little bit about that, about um, what is the difference in your own words of moving away from the traditional accident investigation to this human performance view of event learning teams? What does that mean to you in your own words? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the majority of my experience with safety is kind of being a recipient of the old way. You know, when I worked out in the field, I saw a lot of things happening and a lot of the, the activities that were being, you know, managed uh, and, and didn't really see that it was having a, a profound impact on the overall safety culture or even the way we did things or the things that we were supposed to pay attention to. It also, it, it, you know, kind of seemed counterproductive in a lot of ways. Um, so I've always kind of had a an inkling that maybe this was not the best way to go about things, but being focused on my electrical career and, and the technical aspects thereof, never really put a lot of thought into, um, you know, how could this be better? So, Whenever HP came around, uh, you know, our company has kind of leaned in that direction for quite a while. Um, just didn't have the structure to be able to 
give people those marching orders and say, hey, this is how we can implement what we know in our hearts is the right thing. This is how we can implement that. And I immediately saw that in the event learning teams. Um, it, it, I really cling to it. it. It creates a logical order uh, to organize facts and it, it completely cuts away the natural human tendency to jump to a conclusion. You have to follow the pro. Now you could abandon the process and do a very poor job at, at conducting or facilitating an event learning team and your company wouldn't benefit from it at all. But if you follow the process as it is laid out, uh, which I had to do in my first event learning team, I had that paperwork with me the entire time. And, and I revisited several times throughout the process to make sure that I was following those guidelines because as human beings, we're drawn from our previous experience and the tendency to jump to those conclusions is just overwhelming at times. So the process of it um, and then the success that can come out of it, you know, immediately seeing that when you take the entire system into account, you have to evaluate every incident or even if it's not, a, you know, it's not an accident where somebody got hurt. It's just maybe a rule violation. Um you approach everything from the systemic point of view. And my passion is probably, you know, the, the passion that people see uh, really didn't come about until I had completed my first event learning team. When I completed it, I was just excited like a kid on Christmas because the things that we found in that event learning team, I knew were going to have a lasting and significant impact in this company and potentially in the industry. So, understanding and adhering to the process and seeing what can come out of it, man, it, it lit a fire for me. And, you know, Anthony will say, I'm, you know, I'm involved with our safety committee and, and I'm challenging everybody on that committee when they're talking about something that happened. I'm, I'm in those guys face. Hey, why haven't we done a learning team on this? You know, we need to do this. This will work. So um, I understand how important and impactful it can be for the company as we continue to grow in this direction. And I hope, I honestly hope the entire industry starts adopting this. If, if we're doing it ourselves and we don't get, you know, we're, we're subcontractors on most of these projects. We may get results out of an event learning team that may be contrary to a, a, one of our customers, a general contractor who still uses the old RCA method. And just having those conflicting results sometimes, it, it may seem like we're not looking to participate in their safety culture and hopefully we'll be able to educate them along the way and say, hey, yes, you know, you did identify that that act that the worker did. And yes, that is a problem. However, this is the real root of the problem. If you really want to look at how we can better safety on your job site. Uh, so we try to package these event learning team results in a manner that we can present them to the safety professionals at other companies and it'll resonate with them and they'll realize the power that can be behind it. And, and that's a very important thing because at the end of the day, we're businesses and we're entities with individual incentives and constraints operating together towards a common goal. And we need to be able to communicate our findings and, and let them understand that we are contributing to their safety culture, even though our findings may kind of contradict what they may come up with with a traditional method. Well, you know, I wish everybody had that attitude, but it's awesome that, you know, one, just David, your position there, you're influencing a lot of people as a division manager within Marathon, but the way you are influencing your customers too, 
that says a lot. So you are making change. Um, you know, I wanted to come back to a couple things you said there. One was um, that the traditional accident investigation was counterproductive. Could you talk a little bit about what's counterproductive about the the old model? Yeah. So, and it's it's not just the the accident investigation portion of it. You know, the entire old safety culture. Um, you know, yelling at somebody for not wearing their safety glasses. So if you're wanting that worker to take that, you know, whatever percentage of his mental energy he has and focus on wearing safety glasses, does that mean he's going to walk under a crane load or walk in front of a dump truck? I mean, that entire philosophy, and it spills over into the old methodology of the RCA. It's it's almost like they may as well call it, what did that guy do wrong? And (laughs) that's the, that's what happens. And you've got the safety professionals who believe that they're doing their job. As soon as they find somebody to blame, they think they have completed their task. When the reality, once you open your eyes and you see what is possible using HP, realizing it's an entire system, that old way, just it, you realize how counterproductive it is. I didn't realize how counterproductive it was until I really got into HP and event learning. Um, I knew it wasn't as productive as I thought it could be, but I really didn't have anything to compare it to. So event learning really opened my eyes to the counterproductive culture that existed around the old older style safety programs. Um, you know, when you when you have a crew of guys and something happens, whether somebody gets hurt or it's a near miss or whatever, if, if that investigation is done and the individual is blamed and then punished, then that's automatically going to squelch any future investigations that can happen. And you wind up with guys not reporting anything because they don't want their buddy to get in trouble. So you can have massive systemic issues on a project site and your workforce hide it and they're endangering their lives just trying to keep from being sent home for two days without pay. And that's when you start looking at it, when, if you're a business owner and you're looking at that, if, if you put those facts in front of a business owner, any business owner, they would feel terrible about it because nobody wants people to have to take those kind of risks for fear of retribution over something that they might not be, be able to control. So HP and, and just taking the entire system into account and really understanding what happened and what led up to it. And then identifying those potential flaws and, and finding a way to fix them. I mean, that that's the biggest, to me, that's a the biggest difference between those two methodologies. HP gives you solutions. You know, the old style gives you blame and punishment. HP gives you solutions or at least points you in the direction towards where you need to find a solution. I love it. I love it. Okay, so something else that you said earlier is that um, you, you kind of knew that this is the direction we needed to go, but you had the structure with how event learning teams should be structured. And, and I think that's something that um, we all kind of have that inherent dislike of safety. I, I don't know a nicer way to say it, right? There's a <laughs> yeah. lot of people that dislike safety. At, and so we kind of knew something was wrong and we need to think differently but the structure, right? Can you talk more about how the structure really helped you? Yeah. So the the structure in the actual event learning team, um, when you go through those steps, 
it rips away all of those previous assumptions. And, and you know, I, I actually kind of benefit from never having, you know, been a part, you know, I've never had really like a safety role in a company where I was in charge of an old style accident investigation. So I didn't really have a lot of old bad habits to break. Um, so having the structure there, I'm kind of like a babe in the woods when it comes to this. I'm being asked, it's my first time ever in my professional career to conduct a safety investigation. So having that structure there and that methodology to go by, at first I was like, wow, I'm glad I've got this, this material here. I can make sure I do a good job. And then as I started going through the process, you see those, those logical things starting to fall into place. And you see the pure logic behind the way you're gathering the information you're using the culpability flow chart. You're, you're actually, which that is a huge deal too, that the culpability flow chart is what really for me keeps you from jumping to those conclusions. Um, the, a lot of times that are born out of your knowledge, you know, knowledge is the enemy of learning. And, and I have a lot of knowledge about the industry and how things are installed. If I'm not super diligent and make sure I follow this process, I can make some assumptions and miss some very real improvements that could possibly be made. So that structure and the way it's laid out, uh, some of the activities may seem a little redundant or superfluous until you get to the end of it and you realize that, wait a minute, this information is being categorized logically and you have to take a different approach for either remediation of an issue or possibly it's, uh, you know, maybe you're coaching an individual or maybe it is a reprimand, maybe it is a, a punishment. But until you logically arrange the information, it is not clear. There is too much gut feeling going on. And gut feeling is the last thing you want when you're trying to make real systemic improvement. You need fact, you need logic, and you need support from a system as it's outlined in HP and event learning. I love it. I love it. Um. Okay, so David, you you mentioned where we've come from, and you know that how blame tends to influence people to hide things from management, yeah. right? And so, as you guys have implemented and moved to event learning teams in your culture, did you face any kind of resistance as you went down that path? Yeah, uh, you know, this is a not as much as I might have as I, if I was at a different company. We are a changing company. Um, if you don't like change, you're not going to be happy around here. Um, we are constantly looking for a better way to do things. Uh, you know, doesn't matter whether it's we're training our guys a certain way or we're installing conduit a certain way. You know, we're constantly looking for the better way to do things. So you, you wind up with a lot of early adopters at a company like this. So we did meet, you know, the first event learning team I went to do, I had to sit down with the guys and, and, when I showed up, of course, you know, they, they know who I am and they know I had nothing to do with that project whatsoever. So they were like, oh, no, what do we do? Why is this guy here? You know, so overcoming that initial reaction was a little bit. But having to sit down with them, you know, I was really lucky to, you know, being able to go through the HP training. And, you know, we did a, the longer format of the training and really dug in. It was stressed in the training that, look, this is a counterintuitive thing. You're going to have to explain to people when you sit down and do an event learning team, you're going to have to explain to them what HP is about before they're going to understand the importance of their role in the learning team. So I spent a good 15, 20 minutes just sitting down and talking with the guys about HP and about 
how is an examination of the entire system, not just the workers' actions? Um, and just kind of getting the guys comfortable. And, and as they did, they began, you know, they began to share more and more and more. Um, so, yeah, that there is a little bit of resistance to change in that regard. Um, the, some of them knew. Uh, they had already heard through the grapevine, hey, we're revamping safety and it's, you know, something called HP. And they didn't know a whole lot about it. But um, there is a, a little resistance to change. And, and we, you know, I had that same resistance um, in going through the process. Had I not had that uh, script almost for developing the information in the event learning team, uh, I probably would not have come to some of the high quality conclusions that we did in that specific one. It, you know, I would have probably adhered to what I thought the old way was, uh, having been, you know, not to use the term a victim, but having been the result of a lot of those in my career, seeing the result of what came out of it. I might have tried to steer the result of the event learning team in a similar direction and say, all right, let's find somebody to blame. You know, but having gone through HP, and then adhering to that, you know, that process there, it helped contain any of the negative influence that may have come out of that change. You know, changes by it's going to overturn the apple cart. Uh, some people resist it by nature. Uh, I always, I kind of am happy to have change. Um, one of the things I mean, we sit in your leadership class. One of the things I wrote down that was an eye opener for me. I'm 44 years old. And you said that most pay, most people see change as a loss. And I, I had never had that concept in my life. That was completely new concept for me. And it made me understand how some people behave when they are confronted with change. Um, and I, I have no idea why my mind is like that. Um, but I've always seen change as an opportunity. And whether it's good or bad, at least it's not right now. You know, we, we can we can't get better if we stay doing exactly what we're doing right now. So let's change something and see if it's better. So that's always been my my philosophy. So uh, for me, there was a, a little bit of internal change that had to do with just breaking that momentum of seeing the old safety culture in operation. And this is a radical new process. So it was a lot of change that had to happen inside of me, even if I, even though I wasn't a safety professional before. You know, I love how you started with setting everybody at ease before you even went down this path. Because um, as much as I admire you for having that that view on change, most people don't, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's, um, you know, the other thing, too, when it comes to influence, you know, David, people believe things because you believe it. And just the way you communicate, I think people will know David really believes in this stuff which means they're more likely to believe it, right. right? All right. Okay. So we've talked a lot of theory and all that. Could you uh, maybe share some details of an event learning session that you've done and maybe some latent conditions that were uncovered in that learning session and, and how you've changed your systems because of it? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the very first one I did, um, you know, it's funny. I, I spent one of my roles here at, at uh, Marathon was in the pre-construction department. And I was involved a lot with uh, 3D modeling and we have some, uh, you know, st kind of standardized temporary apparatus we use on projects. And I was actually, um, I designed a few of those elements. And the first learning team that I, I was involved with, uh, talking with a crew down there, and it, and it had to do with, you know, they were installing some 
uh, additional circuits coming out of what we call one of our modular temporary services. And there was a, it is actually, you know, there wasn't an incident. Uh, we were asked to stop work and it was actually just a policy violation. Um, something where, you know, the, the site policy differed from our standard policy and uh, our guys weren't quite educated. That was kind of one of the things that, that led to it. But as I started digging into it, um, you know, I did not want to stop. I, I did the entire event learning team and I, I reached an initial culpability determination. And I said, you know what? I know this is not everything that can come out of this incident. I understood immediately what was really wrong. There was a larger systemic flaw. It didn't have to do with our guys, um, you know, not wearing the appropriate PPE when they opened up a certain switch. You know, the, I extended past that and said, okay, if they did understand this process for PPE selection, would they have been able to select the appropriate PPE? And the answer was no, because one of the things that has to happen uh, when you're dealing with a service, you know, there's some tables in 70E that kind of give you guidelines for selection of PPE, but it says in those tables, it says, hey, if if you don't know if this overcurrent device or if there is no overcurrent device upstream of this, then these tables don't apply. And you have to go back and find a calculated energy level. Well, with temporary services, we had never done the power study that's required to actually find out what those calculated energy levels were. We had never even thought about it. And yet our personnel were having to work on and service these items on every job. And it was just something that had flown under the radar for so long. We were just not even focused on it. it you know, power studies are required on the ultimate build, building distribution systems that we install on pretty much every job. But it never dawned on me. I, I should have been the first one to realize that this was a problem because I understand everything that there is to understand about those power studies and 70E and the PPE levels. I, I know all of that. But it never occurred to me that we would need that information. So that was something, you know, we, we were able to implement that and say, okay, you know what, guys, we're not installing temporary that we haven't done a power study on. We have got to give our guys the information they need to be able to select the appropriate PPE. And then it's almost like a feeling of guilt where you're like, you know, hey, we've had hundreds of guys throughout the years that have done the best job they could and put on whatever level of PPE they had available. I mean, I, I don't even know where they would start trying to make the decision of what level of PPE to put on when they're going to open up some of these temporary services. So it, it's to me, it's, it's a miracle that we haven't had an incident, a, a severe incident due to this lack of information of what level of PPE, but that wasn't the most, um, can, can I, uh, yeah. just, you know, something about what you just said, um, you know, that whole blue line versus the black line. And I think that's important. I love the way you phrase it because you're not a newbie in this industry. You've been here for a long time. Right. But at the same time, you've admitted that there, there was something going on that you just didn't know about. Right. And that's, that's normal. Right. Isn't yeah. it? It's normal. Absolutely. It is. And yeah, it, the reason I feel kind of doubly guilty about it is, you know, I should know better. I, I've been out there doing that work. You know, I, I should have known better. Um, and I, I and I didn't. It never it was never pushed to the forefront of my mind. It, and it really 
that instance actually trickles over into the, I would say it's embarrassing, but it's not embarrassing. I'm actually glad it came out. One of the, the there was a design flaw in the apparatus they were working on. And it was the apparatus that I designed. The way it was designed pretty much eliminated um, any possibility for them to have a completely safe work path for scopes of work that were going to have to be done on pretty much every job. So as I started fleshing out the event learning team, you know, normally I would I would need to interview some parties involved with whatever. Well, I end up having to just ask myself a lot of questions. Hey, man, what were you thinking? Why did you, you know, as I dove into the five whys of, you know, whenever we reach a culpability determination, you kind of want to ask those five whys and really dig that that one step deeper. Uh, and as I was asking myself those on que- those those questions, uh, I was just like, man, my, my focus is not where it needs to be. I was making decisions not based on, you know, accurate and, and wide spanning detail of, you know, the scope that the field guy, I should have talked to 20, 30 field guys before I finalized that design. But I think I only talked to two. And then the method and when I talk to them, I'm asking them questions. But I'm asking them those questions, not in an open forum. Hey, man, if you could have this thing designed any way you want, how would you do it? I was asking them, is it okay if I do this? And not realizing that because of my position, those guys are more inclined to just agree with me because they don't want to disagree with somebody that sits behind a desk. To me, that doesn't matter at all. You know, to me, I'll disagree with anybody because I'm an adherent to fact. Um, But I understand there is a a natural hesitation for a lot of people not to disagree with somebody that they see for whatever reason may be above them on some arbitrary org chart that I really don't care about when it comes to getting it right. If it's a helper and it's his second day on the job and he has the best idea, that's what we need to do. But the reality is most people don't think that way. So what little bit I did uh, investigate on the design, I probably did not do it in a manner to get any kind of useful feedback out of the the field guys and how they were going to use it. So that really has changed my mentality. When, when I stumbled on that, man, I, I had to sit back for a few minutes and really reassess myself and how I approach things. Um, I can I can have a little bit of an overbearing personality at times. Um, that passion that I have for the industry uh, can be overwhelming for people and they're inclined to just agree with me. Like you said, if they think I believe it, they're going to believe it. Well, what if I'm wrong? What if I haven't done my job and making sure that I've gathered all the useful information, I'm leading them in the wrong direction. And and to me, that is, holy cow, I just need to sit back and think about that. So um, it caused me to look inside myself a pretty good bit, uh, that, that first learning team. And, I, you know, there were, there were several other aspects with that. You know, one of them was, uh, you know, we realized that one of the key personnel involved didn't even have the level of training that he needed to realize that it was an issue with not knowing what that available energy level was. Uh, and this is a guy who has a long, long career in this industry, and he he knows electrical work, but he didn't have those one or two pieces of information, those one or two pieces of key training that would set that light bulb light bulb off in his head and say, hey, I, I've got to know this before I select his PPE. So 
and and then you know digging into that why didn't he have it asking those five whys it's like hey our our safety guys they're busy all day every day rounding up confined space equipment or hey we need these lanyards or hey we've got to have deep excavation training it's it's the immediate needs of the day and and you know anthony had spoke before about we hired a training coordinator that was an asset that was added because we realized that our safety program while it was doing an awesome job of heading off the safety needs of today didn't have the resource necessary to make sure we were tackling the safety needs of tomorrow. So that was an asset that was added to the company as a result of that event learning team and us being aware of that. You know, it's it's not a systemic flaw. It's just a, a resource shortcoming that we weren't giving our safety department everything they needed to be able to be proactive and be successful. You know, uh, David, um, Sidney Dagger says that we must abandon the concept of a root cause. And we've talked a lot about there's a lot of history here where that's what we would say. What's the root cause, right? And, right. and going to change the way we think. Um, and, and you've just been going on and on about all these different things that were uncovered. Um, do you have any um, insight onto the ratio of those latent conditions to the active trigger, like how many of them you found? Yeah. So in, in this particular instance, uh, there were 13 latent conditions and only one active trigger. Wow. Um, and those 13, it was, it was a varied list. Um, you're talking about 13 different contributing things. And now it, you know, if any one of those things was not present, that doesn't mean it would have stopped the event from happening, but they all contributed to that event happening. So until you kind of stamp out all 13 of them, you really haven't eliminated the possibility of this recurring. Um, that's another kind of eye-opening thing with with uh, event learning is, and really human performance in general. Until you fix all of the flaws in the system, you cannot say this will not happen again. Um, and I don't even think we found all the flaws in the system through this one event learning team. I'm sure uh, sometime in the future, some point in the future, there may be another uh, situation that arises that's you know similar to this issue. And we'll find another flaw and, and we'll find a way to fix it. But we wouldn't even have that opportunity if we weren't taking the approach of doing event learning as opposed to uh, what was the cause of this? Here's the cause. OK, let's eliminate it. Let's fire the guy. Let's send him home, you know, without pay or let's. I mean, that just holy cow. That's just a very, very counterproductive way to attack it, to overturn the apple cart when you when you find the first thing that might have caused it. Um and, and I don't even know if the I'm sure there's a lot of very, very intelligent people that sat down and came up with the, the RCA philosophy. I just really wonder if our industry is implementing it even close to what they had originally envisioned. Um, if you look at the name of it, it implies that there is one thing that would have caused this incident to happen. And the reality of construction is there's usually many things. I mean, I, I'd say there's probably never been an incident on a job site where it really was one thing that, that caused it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. There is no root cause. Well, that's great, though. Um, uh, you know, a lot of history there. And, and I think uh, we've got a major shift to make. But it's it's great that people like you are, are seeing the value of, of this and, and moving forward. Um, so. David, when it comes to event learning teams, for those that are just now getting started with all this HP stuff, what advice do you have for them while they're on this path? 
Yeah, so I'm actually uh, coaching uh, a couple of guys now that are doing some event learning teams. Uh, and both the guys I'm coaching, they, they have a pretty good bit of experience in the industry. Um, and some of the key points uh, I'm trying to drive home to them, and you know, I'd mentioned it before, knowledge is the enemy of learning. Uh, the fact that we understand a lot of construction and a lot of the activities that we do would lead us to jump to some conclusions about things. And when you do that, you completely miss the opportunity to learn about what really happened uh, and where the systemic flaws might be. And then another one is uh, just reminding the guys, hey, don't underestimate the power of mo of momentum and of the existing mentality. Even though we're a company that's, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to change and improve, there is, you know, we're, we're hiring guys from different companies all the time. And they may come from a company that has a punitive safety culture and that existing mentality that they have is going to really prevent them from contributing to a learning team. Because to be honest with you, a facilitator has, you know, maybe less than 1% of the influence on the success of a learning team. It's the guys you're talking to. And if they're not bought into the process and you can't get them to throw down the shackles of the old environment and move forward with trust, that they are not going to be persecuted by what they say or contribute to the learning team, you're not going to get anything of real value out of that learning team. You have got to gain their trust in order to be able to move forward. That's the only time the truth really comes out. And then the other aspect of it is try to connect with people's general desire to want to contribute to something that is important. If you can sell to them that their participation in an event learning team is going to help, you know, a company our size. You know, most of these guys see that Marathon's a huge company. If if you can sit down with those guys, those four or five guys, however much it is, and say, guys, y'all are the ones. You have your hands on the steering wheel right now. You can give us information that makes us be the best company in the world, or you can withhold that information and we'll stay where we're at right now. The power is in your hands. You have the option now to contribute to something that is important to everybody. Your contribution will help protect people moving forward, not just you. It's other people, too. And maybe your kid's going to come in this trade and you want them to be in a better environment. So trying to tap into that really helps open people's eyes a little bit you know, and maybe takes that first step in developing the trust to say, hey, you know what? You know, I, yes, maybe we did punish you 15 years ago because we were under this old safety culture. But look, man, we're, we're turning over a new leaf and this is what we were going to do now. And we desperately need your help to do it. You tap into that with people that opens the door. And then it's just up to you as a facilitator to do your job or, you know, be diligent, organize the information resist the tendency to make those assumptions that, that is a it was difficult for me and i consider myself a fairly open-minded guy and an adherent to fact but it was difficult for me so that's a big deal that self-awareness you have i think is really one of the main reasons you're so successful with it that you know there's a one the self-awareness in yourself right that we all have that tendency to assume things but right. I, I love too how you um you know, there's a lot of people you meet in this industry and they think everybody's just showing up because they want a paycheck. And yeah, we all got to buy groceries. But like you said, looking at that Maslow's hierarchy of needs view that 
people do want to feel they're contributing to something, right? And you're tapping into that. So Mm -hmm. love that, David. Love it. So um, Anthony, what about you? Any advice that you have from your role on companies that are trying to move into this human performance culture? The one one thing that I think is is most beneficial is like this human performance thing is it's so awesome because you know there was a handful of safety people at the company before HP, but now everyone is a safety person. You know, like it really is. Um, say when we have an, an event, you know, safety's not the one going out there and facilitating it. You know, we're there for um, for support, for guidance, you know, answer any kind of questions. Um, but we're on, we're, we're, we're in the backseat of the whole thing. You know, we get a facilitator that has nothing to do with the project, no skin in the game, but speaks the language of marathon and what the guys are dealing with out in the field, I think was huge. So we gained a lot of people looking out for safety, um, every day with it. And, um, and just making sure you get the, the right person, you know, so I would challenge people if you're going to go down this path to train, get a lot of people trained in the champions course and get a lot of people trained in the, the facilitator role. And then you just got to just pull them in and, you, you know, you just kind of, if you know what the topic is and kind of get an idea of what's going to go on around it, um, you, you can, you can pick the right person, you know, or I've had to, I'll, I'll say, hey, man, you're the first person I picked, you know, and if they don't accept it, you know, I'll go to my next person, you know, whoever that I feel is the best, you know, and then we'll just kind of talk it out. And because uh, we ultimately want to get to the right goal, which is fixing something, you know, something, something we can make better, you know, and you got to pick the right facilitator for the right job for the right area. Um, so and we're spread out over the southeast and we've got facilitators everywhere and uh like for instance, you know, David's working out of the Birmingham division, but we asked him to go down to the coast and uh, facilitate a learning team down there. So, and thankfully we got all the support we need. Um, uh, that's, that's probably the biggest takeaway. Well, I mean, yeah, those are all great, uh, suggestions, great advice for, for folks doing this. Um, I love how, you mentioned that it's not just a safety department thing, right? That it, this is an organizational philosophy. But, you know, the other thing you said, um, you kind of alluded to knowing who's ready for this, right? That, that some people might not be right right for the facilitator role and you just go on to the next one. But that's another one, too, is knowing who is bought in and who's right to lead that role. I, I think we've seen a lot in this conversation that, there's a certain level of not just education, but self-awareness to do this kind of work. So, yeah, you got to pick the right person for the right job. Amen. All right. Well, guys, I really appreciate you airing a little dirty laundry and and (laughs) helping some of your, uh, probably helping some competitors out here by doing this. Right. Um, But I I really appreciate you guys um, participating in this. and, And I think it will help some others that are traveling the same road. So thank you guys again. Absolutely. You know, like we've said several times, we, we consider Marathon a success story on this this HP path. So yeah. thanks for being those guys. Absolutely. Thank you very much. If you learned something valuable today, please share it with others. For more information, head over to leaderthink.com.